Newsbreak podcast. Good day and welcome to Newsbreak Talk. I'm Talisha Naidu, standing in for Tareesh Hari Prashad again today. And we have a very interesting topic on the program, something that you may be interested in and you might want to also give your uh, views a voice on the program today. So, South African Indian cuisine has its roots in the arrival of the Indian indentured labourers to the then known as Port of Natal. They were transported on a 45-day steamship journey between 1860 and 1911. Now, they came to the east coast of South Africa for predominantly manual labour to work on the British-run sugarcane plantations and also in the railways, fishing and boating industries. But the story of the cuisine commences long before the indentured Indians had arrived in Durban or in South Africa. That's exactly what we're discussing today on the program, the evolution of the South African Indian cuisine. We're joined by a really lovely guest today, a historian and foodie himself, Jimmy Mudley. And we want you to be part of the program today. You tell us what has been your journey with Indian uh, Indian cuisine. You can share your experience, your stories. Maybe you have an interesting story from an ancestor, a grandmother or even a mother to tell us about uh, Something special, something a particular dish that you that you take pride in making. Let us know, and you can be part of the program. You can send us a voice note or a message on zero seven one six one three seven eight zero three, or you can call us in studio on zero eight nine. 3108789 and you can share some of those stories with us just a learning journey on the program today and we can all learn from each other this is newsbreak talk and we're discussing the evolution of the indian cuisine newsbreak lotus fm powered by sabc news So as we mentioned, today is a very important discussion. If you haven't yet known the story or if you don't know how the Indian cuisine came about and the unique Indian cuisine that we have in South Africa, then today we're about to give you a little bit of a history lesson. And joining us to do so is historian and foodie by all right, because if you follow him on social media, you'll know that he makes some of the most fantastic dishes. That's Jimmy Moodley. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk. Uh, good afternoon, everybody, and good afternoon to your listeners as well. Jimmy, the music team. thank you so much for giving us time. We know it is, you know, the holiday season, but this is something you're really passionate about, and it comes across because you not only love making food, but you love going into the history and telling us about the origins of it. We know what, firstly, uh, to just to get to know you a little more, what firstly kind of ignited that um, that passion for learning more about not just our Indian history, but the history of food? Yeah, I think it both came from, firstly, the Indian to labourers in terms of the history. And then um, cooking, uh, my mother was a cook, and you know, and I didn't really take to cooking when until I was about 19 years when I had to go to Cape Town and work for Parliament there, and I was alone. And then uh, I had to start cooking my own food, and uh, I used to phone her every day and get recipes over the phone. But I never noted it down. So uh, mm. I, I suppose, and then my friends that worked with me, uh, we uh, we just cooked uh, communally for all of us. And I did the cooking, you know. And I suppose that's where it started and uh, then just continued from there. So let's get into it, Jimmy, because the evolution of the South African Indian cuisine is a unique one. But where did it all start? 
Yeah, indeed, it is unique. <clears throat> you wouldn't find uh, South African food, Indian food anywhere else. You, you will never find it in India. But for us to start, we have to start from before the beginning. So when it was recruitment in India for the 1860 indentured laborers, it, it, it was a quick process. So um, people gathered whatever they could in terms of utensils, cooking appliances, and seeds and vegetables and all of that, and uh, then made their way to the pots, the two pots that would be Madras and uh, Calcutta. And although all the Madras was a pot, but people from Tamil Nadu and Andhra Pradesh came, and Calcutta as well, from Calcutta and all the neighboring areas. So the and when the forefathers arrived on the Mitra colony, they were distributed to the various sugar estates along the and Chow. Now people from different parts of India were grouped together on each of the sugar estates. And, and that's how you'll get this melting pot of ideas and recipes and, um, and different spices blended to create this uh, unique South African cuisine. You know, there's sherry, vulgar, indentured laborers had to stay together in a barracks, you know, in a communal barracks. And mm. this is where everybody shared ideas and uh, their styles of cooking. And, and people came from different regions, states, villages, uh, uh, homesteads, and even larger homes. And even each, each home, each family had a different style and different approach to cooking. You know, as you speak of that, those who have been fortunate enough to travel to India, and you started off by mentioning that the cuisine that we have, the Indian cuisine that we have in South Africa, is quite different to that um, of the Indian cuisine in India, in fact. And from what I get from what you're explaining to us, that's because we had a a great mix of different religions, cultures that came uh, to South Africa as indentured laborers. So if we're talking about having Gujaratis and and Muslim uh, individuals all mixed, so they shared kind of the, the, the knowledge of cooking and spices and so on and made a beautiful mix of it to, to create that unique South African Indian taste? Yes, that's exactly what happened because if you go to India, I mean, well, nowadays you can't, you know. Uh, but if you go to India uh, <coughs> over the years, you, you go to each regional state, you will get the regional food. Uh, uh, and, but in India, we, had, we combined all of this because we live together. You know, it was uh, it, you know, on the sugar estates and the barracks that people live together. And uh, if uh, the Binga, the Calcutta people, they noted for sweet meat. And uh, the South Indians, spicy, redders, all of that, the North Indians. So each each household would make different things and, and share this amongst everybody and even share the recipes. You know, you'll ask Fatima how you make this and you ask Naido how you make the weather. And you know that kind of thing. So that's how the sharing, and that's how this entire unique essay cuisine developed from all the different people coming from different states and uh, grouping or living on one communal sugar mm-hmm. state. We're going a little off topic. We'll bring it back to food. But what you're saying now uh, is resonating with me because. It goes back to a time, I think, where we often hear some of, um, you know, the younger generation would hear our parents saying it, or even you'd be able to resonate with this, that it goes back to the early times, uh, maybe even um, 20 years uh, ago, where the 
the South African Indian community, that type of cohesion between them, we previously previously had spoken to individuals who even came from areas like Clearwood who would say that they were so united and there was cohesion amongst the different religions. So you'd have, even if it was a a Muslim wedding, you'd have people from the Tamil community going to the Muslim wedding to share their recipes and to cook together. So there was that that united front that came through from all individuals that kind of inspired these unique dishes that we have today that has that unique taste. Yes, exactly. And all the celebrations, whether it was Moram, whether it was Deepavali, Eid, you will have everybody getting together and cooking and contributing the food items and ideas. Definitely something that uh, we're lacking in uh, today's uh, day and age in this century. We need to definitely work harder on that. But back to uh, talking about food now. Uh, I want to know this because it it kind of plays on my mind all the time. And I'm sure for others as well. The Indian indentured laborers did face very harsh conditions while working on the different fields that they were in. So... How was it that they were able to source the spices that they were so accustomed to? Because I'm sure they did bring some with them. But then when that was was done with, how did they then thereafter source those spices? Uh, Yeah, initially they did bring whatever they could. And uh, in the period in Indonesia, they requested other passengers, you know, those who came from the villages or they wrote to the family members and members there and said, if anybody's coming in through this and that and whatever seeds and food items they want. And then the Gujarati community became a free Indian. Uh, they saw the opportunity to set up shops and supply the growing Indian population already here, so they came with their supplies. But at some point, the Indian indenture stopped. So there were no more ships coming, and it and, and spices became inaccessible. And, and besides, even if there were shops, the majority of the plantation workers work seven days a week, you know, from sunrise to sunset. And uh, it was difficult. They're leaving the uh, sugarcane estates and going and getting uh, these spices. So sourcing of ingredients, spices, and other commodities were difficult and expensive and often unavailable. So the indentured stock had to make do with whatever was available locally. And they had to substitute uh, their recipes <coughs> in terms of what was available locally. And uh, and many factors contributed to this uh, unique South African cuisine. One of the major ones was uh, India imposing sanctions on South Africa. This made it extremely difficult for consumer goods to enter. And one item, one example would be rice, because we, we only recently we have become used to accustomed to um, basmati rice. In the in the apartheid days and the sanction days, we had to buy and use American long grain rice. So that's just one example. So, and in fact, uh, the sanctions sort of uh, disadvantaged an in, entire generation because we we only got used to Indian food and Indian restaurants being in South Africa after '94, when we had our free and fair elections. So much that, yeah, you know, from what you're saying, there was so much, I think, that was against us in learning more about um, our our heritage inspired fully on from India. But 
I think we still prevailed somehow because we still managed to get back there, still managed to use certain elements, certain dishes that we even incorporate in our weddings and, and various traditions. We still go back to our roots. Somehow we found it, um, which is a great part. While you're talking on that, you know, you're talking about how we manage to have so little in our in our um, in our possession in terms of spices or food items, but we still manage to make do with it. And I want to get to the topic of the rations that um, the indentured laborers were given and how they managed to use those rations. But what I'm going to do is I also want to encourage um some of our, our our listeners now to just send us their views as well because I'd love for this to be an interactive discussion where we get to hear some unique stories from uh, everyone at home who has to share some marvellous stories of their ancestors, how they travelled, what they did, what they cooked. So let us know uh, your stories. When we get back, we're going to talk to Jimmy about those rations and how those rations were used um, back in the day by the Indian indentured labourers. So you have your choice now. You can uh, get dialing and you can send us a message or a voice note as well on 071-613-7803. That's the WhatsApp number. Or you can call us in studio and have a discussion with Jimmy and I on 089-310-8789. And after the break, we'll continue talking to our expert guest historian and foodie himself, Jimmy Moodley. One Day at a Time comes to your screens Friday evenings at 8.30pm. Divorced mother Anne Romana moves to Indianapolis with her daughters, where she struggles to raise the teens on her own. She tries to maintain a balance between being a career woman and caring for the girls. That is One Day at a Time, Fridays at 8.30pm, only on SABC3. Every day, women and children live in fear in South Africa. I am Berita, and along with the Njovu Youth Choir, we have partnered with the SABC to bring about change for good. We need to put an end to violence against women and children. Purchase and download the song Ungandibulali, available on all digital platforms to make your contribution now. A portion of the proceeds from each purchase will go towards a charitable cause fighting this crisis. Don't turn a blind eye. SABC taking a stance on violence against women and children. Go to sabc.co.za for more information. Now, we know that 2020 has been a challenging year. Experiencing so much is hard, but Metropolitan believes that we can get through this together by connecting and sharing. Now, Mzanzi has the power to go into the new year stronger. So join the Mzanzi class of 2021 on the 29th of December to be part of South Africa's biggest live radio show where we will work through and let go of 2020 so that we can start 2021 stronger metropolitan together we can i'm Tolis kaunda the mayor of etegwin municipality we'd like to welcome all our visitors who have again made our city a home away from home this festive season 
This has been a very abnormal year following the coronavirus. It is of paramount importance that we adhere without fail to all lockdown regulations that seek to stop the spread of this virus. Our beaches are going to be closed on the 25th, 26th, 31st of December 2020 and the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of January 2021. Remember, alcohol is prohibited at our beaches and in our public spaces. Let us look after our children and ensure that on arrival at our beaches, they get response. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. Stay safe and enjoy responsibly. So exactly 12.22. This is Newsbreak Talk. I'm Talisha Naido. And today we're discussing the evolution of South African Indian cuisine with our expert guest today. That's historian and foodie uh, Jimmy Mudley. So before we get to more of our conversation with Jimmy, we're going to go to our WhatsApp line now because we've got some voice notes and messages uh, coming through. And we encourage you to continue sending them on 71 8-0-3. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. So we have a message coming through from Raj and Raj Kumar. Hi, Chalisha. My mum passed away 15 years ago at the age of 93. Amongst many dishes, one food item that I learned from my mum is how to make mealy bread. Fresh mealies ground on a seal with a lora, that is a grinding stone, mixed with red chilies, salt and other Indian condiments, wrapped in mealy leaves and steamed in a pot, served with homemade chili sauce and tea. Rajan Rajkumar, Cape Town. Oh, Mr. Rajkumar, that sounds so good. Rachel and I are just saying yum, yum. That It's just so amazing. I think the next time we're down in Cape Town, Mr. Rajkumar has to make for us. He has to. That sounded so lovely. Definitely. I didn't know it needed to be wrapped in um, the mealy... Leaf. I didn't know that. My gran used to use the Laura when she would make um, vedas, so she would ground the doll on it to make it as fine as possible. I'm going to bring Jimmy in as well because, Jimmy, we were discussing this. Some of the iconic dishes that we usually uh, make using these type of items uh, that is just so nostalgic. And we were talking about it, you know, at the store and, and, and all these different pies and, and, and so on. Uh, you know, it's it gives us, as soon as we see these dishes, we talk about it and, and we even taste it. It takes us back just to, to all the good old days. Would you not say so? Yes, of course, indeed. And uh, <clears throat> we don't make those things anymore, or, or not so often. You know, it's reserved for just functions and weddings, but generally nobody makes it at home. And, uh, yeah, they, I mean, the indentured laborers, they had so much of these type of uh, foods and recipes that, needed to stay, there was no refrigeration and all of that. And, uh, yeah, it needed to stay for a few days. That's why you find Adarso was made, Yelada was made, uh, well, things like Veda and Bajas and stuff would be made for the day if it's an event or just for tea and made and in, eaten within the day. So um, it, it is very nostalgic, especially when I see these types of food items at events and... Uh, Weddings and you know other kind of uh, celebrations, or even at the temple, you find most of these uh, foods. Uh, some of these foods are available uh, when when certain prayers are done and certain celebrations and certain uh, prayers are observed. 
you know, it took so much for them to make these dishes that we cannot deny. Um, through the history, if we look at the amount of items that they would would be given or could afford, they, it, it, they took a, a few items to make so much. And we never really, we underestimated that, to be honest. We underestimated how thought the thought process that they had gone through to make these items that we find as sometimes even delicacies today to make those. And that all stemmed from, I think, the rations that they were given uh, as laborers because they were given a few items, staple items, but out of three items, they could make 10 items. Um, tell us more about those rations, uh, Jimmy, because um, it, it's things these days that we take for granted, but th- these were the staple items that uh, Indian indentured laborers were given. In fact, every employer by law has to provide weekly or monthly rations to all laborers. Um, most often, these uh, rations were inadequate or they were short supplied, or some uh, sugar barons never even supplied them with all the standard norms, you know, according to the standard norms. But the rations would be uh, would, would include mealy meal, mealy rice, tam, dry beans, salt. And some other dry goods. And uh, the only luxury in that ration was 250 grams of dry fish and 250 grams of ghee. Now, when I say luxury, because, uh, well, mealy meal was used to make the mealy bread, as the Rasquad mentioned, and we and it was made used to make sour porridge. And, of course, uh, the intentional laborers had gardens of vegetables, so they, they made pickles and uh, the beans. So the dry fish, that luxury we're talking about, was used in so many forms. You had dry fish and boiling chutney. You had dry fish added to beans. You had dry fish with calabash, dry fish with green cocoa. So that's why them and us calling it a luxury. It was the only item that was multi-used in, in various dishes. And it was the only item that was given to them. So today, as we sit in our comfort of our home, tucking in those festive lunches and dinners, we need to spare a moment for our indentured forefathers. It will mm-hmm. enable us this better quality of life. And I think making those various dishes out of one item, like how you mentioned the dry fish, which was used to make multiple dishes, was also, in a way, um, making the best out of their circumstances, but also feeding their families because they had, you know, a large uh, group of, uh, of families. And there was also going back to the point of that social cohesion. If I had it and, you know, I had a neighbor, if I made multiple dishes out of dry fish, I could feed my neighbor as well. Yeah. And then we will take it to the next uh, level to say that, um, the, of course, the rations were inadequate at all times. So the, the intention laborers were agricultural people anyway. So they, uh, whenever they had time, and they planted their own garden and, um, you know, small vegetable patches. And uh, what they would do was they have all these vegetables, you know, as, a, as, as to supplement their ration, because the ration was mostly dry goods. It wasn't fresh vegetables or meat. Or, and they had small uh, livestock, poultry, kept uh, as part of the barracks. And um, they would make this dry fish and mixed vegetable curries. You know, you will notice during the almond phase time, this would, this would be a big thing. 
and they made a huge part of it because they have so many mixed vegetables, and um, they then and it was uh, enough to go around. And then they always bulk up meals because they had large families. They had to bulk up meals, so curries and rice dishes, you know, uh, was always made. And eggs, boiled eggs was in everything you will find today. Even we'll make tail fish and boiled eggs, or fish curry and boiled eggs, or, or biryani, fish biryani, or chicken biryani. We'll always put boiled eggs. Mm. But those days it was there to sort of bulk up the meals, so it was enough for everybody. And, and uh, to, to supplement all of this ration inadequacy, you'll find that uh, in every family, almost every family, you'll find one was a good fisherman. So he'll go fishing. Get fresh fish, sea lice, crab, to, you know, to add to this uh, ration that was already given to them. And then families also uh, went for cheaper cuts of meat and offals. Offals is a big thing. It's not so popular in India, but here uh, our indentured ladies started uh, eating offals and, you know, uh, became experts in cleaning and even uh, all these fish, vegetables, offals also provided a business opportunity because where fish and vegetables were extra, they either gave it to neighbors or sold it to supplement their uh, family income. Which I want to bring in a point which may be controversial to some but it's i think it's important to discuss those items as we mentioned taking the mealy meal to make sour porridge now i want to tie this back to something that i think will be educational for many could it be jimmy that many of the the rituals that we perform today if i take for example some of the prayers maybe that that we that we do and we use sour porridge uh, for instance it could not be it's because that was the tradition or the ritual that was brought by our ancestors from India, but the sour porridge was made because that was the only item that was available to us and it had to be used as a substitute. Uh, it's not necessarily that's the ritual that um, our Indian Indian should labor um, ancestors had brought from India, but it was a substitute needed because we had no other source of items to make uh, a sour porridge or, or what the sour porridge should have been. Um, let's go back because most of these um, indentured laborers came from villages. You know, the, the first, second, third, fourth, first lot of people came from rural areas and villages, and they always prayed to village deities. They were very God-fearing, you know. And and the temples in India at that stage were the focal point of the villages, and most villages, their activities and lives revolve around the temple. But when you say, when you talk about the South Village, uh, it, I think it was used in India. It's a uh, coolant, and it's used uh, during the hot period um, to cool your body temperature down for heat rashes and those kind of diseases. But, I mean, the fact, I'm not sure what uh, ingredient they used to add there, but since minimi was available here, uh, they used it. And also, uh, some of these uh, items, you know, although it's, it's described how to prepare certain foods for certain celebrations and functions and prayer. But lots of it are for practical reasons. Like we spoke about the other so. Tadzuto is a fried sweet rice cake. It it stays for long and you and in India wedding parties came from the neighboring villages, you know, the boy was from this village and the girls 
pastors mm. of the next village. And when and they walked for two days or three days to come have the wedding ceremony and go back. And these kind of things were given to them to, you know, snack on the road because it won't go off. It's, uh, it's some, something that will stay for three, four days. And whereas, if you look at their piety, that was, if it's a youth celebration and center, at that point they will have like better food, maybe the king or the nawab or ruler of that area would, would provide the biryani for the day and provide the piety for the subjects of that village. So it's related to temple activities, it's related to God-fearing, but it's also for practical reasons. Lots of food. Like, I mean, even the Amun prayer time, the, the bride of the house who got married will come back during the Amun time. And the, obviously the mother will prepare a lot of food. So that's why you find during the Amun prayer, because she's getting a daughter back visiting and family members, so they will make the porridge for the morning. They will make the chicken curry, the meat, the goat. It, it's a feast for the family who's visiting. Do the prayer, but feast, eat well, and go well. We're going to go, uh, Jimmy, to uh, our WhatsApp line because we have so many messages coming through. Um, as we mentioned, you know, it's going to be a very nostalgic show because people are just going to go back to their days when they tasted some of the unique flavors from their parents and grandparents. So um, we've got a message from Viji who says, Hi, Mr. Jimmy. My great-grandparents uh, were from India, from that generation of the Dosa and Idli. Um, it was made... Uh, in Indian homes for tea time uh, from Viji in Peter Maritzburg. Um, so so that was, you know, some of the iconic dishes that we, we used to make. We were chatting about the idli as well, uh, mm. idli and sambar, which we, we don't usually, I think, in South Africa particularly have it that way. Uh, but we do have, I think, idli tea time with butter or just plain uh, as usual with a, with a lovely cup of tea. Yeah, originally in India, idli is made with fermented rice flour. It's a kind of sour. It's used as a morning breakfast. Um, you dip it, they'll give you a samba. What we even knew those days as, not even dal, dal, we call it dal. Dal was later on added. And samba only in the recent years, as I said, after 94, when when um, South Africa opened up to the rest of the world, including India, we got to be more familiar with Indian dishes. Uh, yeah, as we said, it, and yeah, Italy is made with some mazina flour and uh, made sweet as a kind of a, yeah, you know, afternoon tea snack and maybe sprinkled with coconut dust. And But originally, Italy is uh, a fermented rice cake supposed to be eaten at breakfast with um, tomato chutney, coconut chutney, and uh, sambar, which is dal. Uh, Rachel and I are just nodding our heads because I think we provide with the butter. <laughs> we provide with the butter and tea. Butter and hot tea <laughs> takes it down memory lane. In fact, it's been so long since we've had that. So that's just a hint, I think, coming through from Rachel, uh, Jimmy, is that uh, if you're an expert in making that, send it our way. We have to come and visit yeah. you at the temple, Jimmy, soon, soon. We'll, we'll make um, apple. It's a similar texture, but it's, it's like a pancake. It's flat round with the coconut. Oh, that sounds that sounds good as yeah, well. Apple is also fermented rice flour, and but it's made a uh, pancake. Apple used to be a is a it's a quite a common thing as well among the Indian families. Uh, 
as we said, they were experts in things. You know, certain families made up, or certain families made easy, certain families made better, certain families made puris or, or banana puri, you know, that kind of thing. And then we came, and we came together and lived on these estates and merged into communities, into Phoenix, Chatsworth, and all of that. We, we start sharing recipes and, and all of this. That's how this unique Indian cuisine came about. Mm. And most of these these items that we're talking about, Jimmy, goes back to using some of those staple uh, ingredients that was received in those rations. So it just talks to, you know, how, how iconic um, those rations became within our ancestors because they used that to make these dishes that even years, 160 years uh, later, we're still continuing, we're still making it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we haven't... Uh, the, the traditions we came with at that point, 1860, is the same traditions we are following. It, it, the same parameters that we are following. It, it changed, it amended here and there, but it's the same thing. Like when the Malaysians, when they went to Malaysia, uh, the Indians went to Malaysia, at what period they left India, they following the same traditions at that point. Like even Cambodia and Philippines, wherever the Indians left and went, you know, in the earlier, we talked about 300 years, 400 years, Trinidad, Tobago, they followed the traditions that was uh, at that point when they left India. Hmm. So we are following traditions that were set around the 1860s. So whatever was brought through, we adapted it to South African conditions, but basically we are still within the parameters of uh, whatever tradition was brought and uh, orally passed on to us. And hopefully we can keep that for more than 160 years, you know, uh, and, and keep taking that forward um, as we as we continue to grow. Uh, more messages, Jimmy, coming through. I want to get these across um, because they're beautiful sh- uh, stories being shared. Yeah. Kajal from Pochepston saying, uh, Indian food is the best in the world. The spices that we use gives the Indian cuisine its mouth-watering taste. I simply love Indian cuisine. English foods are a no-no for me. I do try making the dishes I see the actors and actresses eat even on the Indian uh, series and that message they're coming through from Kajal in Pochepston. Ramba Modli saying anything about Indians I'm all ears uh, and thanks so much for the excellent show thank you so much uh, Ramba Mala sending us a message saying Indian cuisine is enjoyed by people of all cultures whether it's North Indian or South Indian the Indian cooking uh, was and is very versatile uh, Mala going on to say the South Indian mixed veg curry is very popular dish during the fasting period this is the time when uh, separate utensils are used when preparing meals. The rice cake Kolkata is a popular sweet South Indian dish that is made with the rice flour as an offering for prayers. And then she says, um, Rose is, is also a sweet meat. Rot, I, I believe you're saying, Rot. is also a sweet meat that originated in North India. And dal pitta uh, is also a popular North Indian dish that is made and enjoyed by many. And Mala finally saying, I am a proud South African of Indian de- uh, descent. That's coming through from Mala, sharing some of the very lovely dishes that we usually uh, have. And then voice notes coming through from uh, Mr. Ian Govender today. Good afternoon, Telisha Naidu and the Newsbreak team. I recall with fondness my grandmother, who eloped with her husband-to-be from Etapurum in the district of Salem, prepare herbs, curry, which she called kanjikira. 
It was very spicy. She also cooked spicy fish curry and it went well with kali or sangati. It was delicious. On my many visits to South India, I found the meals were different from what we are accustomed to. The chicken biryani consisted of one long bone. Many travelers carry tinned food. Thank you. Thanks so much for that voice note, Mr. A.N. Govinda. Uh, and you know when you talk about salivating, you know you have that water coming out through the sides <laughs> of your cheeks <laughs> when he's talking about the, the kanji kiret. That's Rachel and I in studio. So uh, it's it's really, really good. Jimmy, you know, a point that uh, Mr. Govinda had brought that how different, how vastly different even the biryanis are uh, from South African Indian cuisine to the Indian Indian cuisine. And if we haven't, you know, done a great job in explaining, so can you please just take us through about that difference? Why is it so different? Uh, firstly, uh, the, uh, Mr. Inkavita mentioned about uh, Kandikira. It's very popular among the Andhra people, the Telugu-speaking people. Mm. It's called Gonkura. They, they, they noted for making different types of uh, this Kandikira. Uh, but getting back to your question, is um, you see, we, we left 18, in 1860, right? Uh, the Indian and then just laborers left India and came. And then there were there were so many hurdles and so many setbacks over the years when they came here. The inavailability of goods, spices, and, and then they started blending. You know, the um, we had to we we had to blend our own spices. And then in uh, in India itself now, if you look at uh, generally coconut milk is used as a base. Right? And then in the east and northern parts of India, mustard oil is used. In the central parts of India, peanut and maybe mustard. In the south, more palm oil and coconut oil is used. But very little sunflower, no sunflower oil at all. And um, But also uh, coconut milk is the base. Whereas in South Africa, our, firstly, our base is started sunflower oil and onion and tomato. And in India, you find that the tomatoes are not used so often and not so much. If you have a curry, you'll find maybe a small tomato that's cut in two and placed on top and it's cooked in the last minute of the, when the curry gets ready. The blend of spices and we use are totally different. We are, we are more chili powder people. Our curries are red. But in India, each different uh, dish has a different blend of spices that they use. They probably won't use chili powder in half of the dishes. They'll use, like, uh, you know, garam masala. So they curry is a little bit brownish, grayish, not not too much red, because we use chili powder. And we don't blend and use uh, different spices for each dish. We got an all-purpose Masala created for us. Everything we cook, we use the one type of masala. Of course, there are also the, uh, specialist people who do this, you know, cook. They have a daba, the container with uh, small containers of yeah. different spices there. And uh, that, 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 and the, the ingredients used, the freshness of stuff. But as we say, government is saying, when you go in, it's not extravagant food, you know, when you, when you order chicken biryani. You're getting one piece of chicken. You probably get half a boiled egg, and you get a piece of lime with that, and some cucumbers or cucumber. That cucumber is um, 
tomato, onion, and cucumbers chopped and made into a, you know, like a sandal. You probably get that. But we, because being from this poverty of uh, indenture, yeah. we, we we went fall out, you know. Our chicken biryani must have one kilo rice, maybe five kilo chicken. <laughs> Mutton biryani must have one kilo rice, five kilo meat, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It, that, that stems from our poverty, you know. Now that we know we can afford it, we can we we can cook it like that. We do it like that. Yeah, and no. We put in the best spices, the, the butter, whole words butter we buy, the ghee and all of that. We add it and fresh cream. No, it, it's amazing because uh, I, I love that it's we were getting a bit lighter in in this uh, topic. We started off, uh, you know, talking about the harsh realities that was faced, and you know, Mr. A and Governor mentioned about that one piece chicken, and we've been just talking about it. We also got a message. Um, that came through talking about that Raymond Chetty from Peter Maritzburg saying we used to get mealy meal uh, or mealy rice, mealy meal samp. We grew up, uh, we grew our own veggies. We had our own fowl chicken run. So there were plenty of eggs and uh, chicken as well. Worked on the fields, planting mealies, beans, etc. Some uh, lovely memories there from Raymond Chetty. So talking about chicken um, and, you know, while we're on that topic, before we get to more and because there's a flood of voice notes and messages coming through now. The South African, you know, um, our, our ancestors, in fact, were very influenced, I think, later on by uh, their Zulu counterparts. And um, that comes up and, and, and you're, you're able to know about it if you talk about, you know, that live chicken or uh, running fowl, as Rachel will call it, or Zulu chicken. Um, Zulu chicken and Zulu duck. You know, tell us more about that story because many people don't know about how our ancestors or the Indian origin community and indentured laborers were inspired and influenced by their Zulu counterparts. Eventually, the local population started to work on the sugarcane fields. Initially, they didn't want to, be, and then they saw that that there is work opportunities, so they too were given housing on these sugar estates and lived alongside the Indians. And they shared such a nice kind of relationship. They got on, they knew each other. Even my mother, my mother is illiterate. She never went to school. But she would, she would speak Hindi, Tamil, Telugu, and Zulu. And a bit of English as well. Uh, so the Indians learned Zulu and all of that. But coming to the food, you see the Africans, uh, they would boil these mealies and beans and call it... Uh, um, Kaba or Istampu, because these are the ingredients they had. And what the Indians took, they took this stump and this uh, bean, boiled it, and then curried it, you know, giving it an Indian uh, influence of tempering to it. And also, added meat to those who ate meat most, and lots of Indians who originally came were vegetarians, you know, but those who ate meat added meat to it, you know, either chicken or uh, mutton or beef. But I do know of people in Stanga that make Cornish chicken champ. I, I, I didn't make that any time. I never eat meat, but I do know the Stanga people do make uh, Cornish chicken champ. So, and the, the local African population, the Zulus, they grew such like Adumbi, uh, Ijluba beans, and uh, Ijluba beans is Jugo beans, you know. Yeah, yeah. So all of these were used in Indian dishes. Because they were neighbors, they shared all of this. And uh, or I'm sure the neighbors, Indian neighbors, 
including Diwali, Kabigilan Briyanis and whatever else they made and the Muslim community during Eid Eid and all of this. And the Indian Christians will, will share during Christmas all of these uh, foods that they make. And also we must, we must understand that the Indian Christians who came down retained the Indian identity. Because I know a family in uh, Escort who make uh, koi kata. You, you know, you're talking about the koi kata, the yes. rice. Mm-hmm. They make koi kata for Easter and Lent. They make apple for Easter and Lent. So Indian Christians who also came also retained their Indian identity and cultural heritage. And they also contributed to all of this Indian cuisine. So, Jimmy, exactly 12.50, such a beautiful history lesson that you're giving us today. And uh, when we come back, we're also going to go to our WhatsApp line. We're just going to go through uh, the multiple messages that we're getting, sharing their experiences uh, and some of their stories. And then we'll bring you in on that conversation as well. This is Newsbreak Talk on Lotus FM. We're discussing the evolution of the South African Indian cuisine with our guest today. Joining us on the line, historian Jimmy Mudley. Stay tuned. We're going to get to more of your messages in a bit. I'm Sishez Yalala, the Premier of Guazulu-Natal. Please receive our humble and best wishes for 2021. May the year ahead bring you joy, success and fulfill your dreams. 2020 has been a difficult year for everyone because of the COVID-19 pandemic. As we welcome the promise of the new year, let us remain vigilant. This means that we must celebrate responsible by strictly adhering to safety regulations to stop the spread of the virus. The government of KwaZulu-Natal has a clear plan to revitalize the economy and restore hopes in the lives of the citizens. We need to embrace the new normal of living with the virus, while at the same time we accelerate radical economic transformation to serve all the people of KwaZulu-Natal. Once again, Happy New Year and a prosperous 2021. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. So we're back now. We're going to take some of your messages on the program. Uh, we have our guest, Jimmy, who's standing by uh, to, I think, come in with any points uh, that he sees pertinent from the messages. So a voice note firstly coming through from Mr. Louis Pillay today. Good afternoon, Talisha Louis Pillay Durban. Yes, with regards to your topic, you must know when after the 1860 settle down year, there were some was told to go back to India. And those that could not go back to India, they actually went to Clearwood and they did farming. And that's how we get the green groceries. Some of them went to Springfield Flats and Springfield Flats where in the early days was a place that where we can get our vegetable. So if you really look at it, the Indians that did not go back to India actually grew the vegetables in South Africa. Thank you, Louis Pillay Durban. Thanks, Mr. Pillay, for giving us a little bit of that uh, information. They will get to Jimmy in a bit uh, to come in with a point. And Nasima also sending us a voice note. Hi, guys. I'm really enjoying the show. And I'd like to throw out, while we're on the topic of Indian cuisine, it's biryani, not biryani, as it's been so commonly anglicized. So it's lovely biryani. 
Thank you so much for a great show, Ms. Seema Mohammed. So, Jimmy, biryani, biryani. We were, it's like the age-old debate about how the bunny chow had come about. Um, you know, what's your point on that? Biryani or biryani? I think it's um, it's very linguistically mm-hmm. inclined, you know. It all depends on the region. If you're in the south, you will say biryani. Exactly. Maybe in the north, biryani, B-I-R. But in the south, it probably be P-R-E-Y. So it's very linguistically based. Every, uh, in fact, everything is very regionalized. It all depends where you come from. You say things differently. and uh, But at the end of the day, you are referring to the same item. Exactly. Thank you so much for that, uh, Jimmy and Nasima as well. So as Jimmy saying linguistically, so if you're South Indian, I think most of the time you'll say biryani. And if you're North Indian, I think you're more inclined to say biryani. Uh, Ron- very, much, sorry, mm-hmm. very much like our soji and suji, yes. or tosi and tosi. It, it's just uh, uh, linguistically based. Ah, oh, great. Roy Singh, Jimmy, also sending us a voice note today. Hi to the Newsweek team. We say goodbye to 2020 and welcome 2021 in our life. Uh, to our 1860 settlers that have come here into this country, you have brought everything for us, for all the generations. We as Indians, South African Indians, we cannot live without spice. So, irrespective whether it's the Gujarats, the Hindus, the Tamils, or the Muslims, they've all come up with something good, something rich. And people maintained their culture, their diversity, and the way they live. And we're really grateful for that. Great point coming through there from Roy Singh. Thank you so much for uh, the voice note. I'm going to go through to some of the messages before we get to more uh, voice notes. Ramba Mudli saying, uh, Jimmy, you must share all the recipes. So Ramba, I think if you want to know more about Jimmy's cooking skills, you can go onto Facebook and follow him there and see all the dishes he prepares every day uh, and request, I think, a recipe for your favorite one. Um, B in Cape Town says uh, the fermented rice is named uh, as putu and it's nice and sweet as a child I used to eat it we ate it for uh, tea time as well uh, love my Indian food salted fish bomli and uh, tin fish curry enjoying the show and knowing about our tradition and culture uh, Kogi in Benoni says uh, my gran used to cook kanji kire uh, and she says I hope I spelt it correctly with the beetroot leaves and uh, that's a good one Charmaine says yes I agree with Jim, uh, Jimmy Garu Gongra is uh, super delicious and I hope I pronounced that correctly <laughs> Rita Naido in Phoenix says good day to you beautiful girls I was born in Mount Edgecombe I had the pleasure of seeing my great grandmother and grandma uh, what I love about what they made was that they used to make everyday dosa uh, up to this day my mum makes it for her children and my memory also is eating them in a banana leaf. Uh, we receive rations there right up to the day when my grandmother uh, was alive. She passed away 20 years ago. Um, Roche in Overport saying on my first trip to South India in 1978 we could not eat their curries. It was totally different to our Durban curries and I think it's a matter of acquired taste. Exactly what we were discussing today Jimmy. And Mrs. Yes. Nirmala uh, Devi Mudli also saying um, hello to you, Jimmy. And she goes on to say, to date, I will only eat 
fish curry with sangati. Uh, I don't uh, need it like my grandmother where they would cook the mealy meal and then place it in a pot in between their feet, seated on the floor and knead it until it's thick and a taut uh, texture. Well, of course, Veda still tastes as it uh, it did best when grounded with the grinding stone and fried in a kadai uh, on the outside fire. And uh, that's lots of love. And she says Indian cuisine is the best. Ramba from Woodview also saying, good topic. My brother used to work um, and also get rations. He caught fish. He put chili powder, salt and dried it uh, on, the, on a fish line with the orange bag. That's coming through from Ramba sharing some amazing uh, memories there, Jimmy. Uh, isn't it good to hear all these stories and everybody sharing their experiences with each other? Exactly, but we, we need a platform to to listen to more of this and document more of this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because maybe in the, in the future the gen- generations this might fade away. You know, and um, I, I, I do, uh, I'm not sure what will transpire or happen then. But at this point, the generation is still there. We still know most of the stuff, or although we don't speak the languages as such, but we know our Indianness and we know all the cultural heritage part of it. So maybe sometimes we need to document this or get somebody to do it and get all the stories from whoever wants to contribute and create some sort of data. Definitely. We've run out of time, Jimmy. We'll end it there. Uh, you know, uh, Auntie Mala is telling me to ask you about your pickles because apparently they're phenomenal. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if you want to share some information about them before we say goodbye. Pickles. Uh, yeah, I do make pickles. And uh, it's kind of procedure. You cut your vegetables. You soak it in vinegar and salt, and maybe for two days, three days, and then you add it to your pizza masala and oil. And lime also. Lime, I do not boil. I uh, cut it and soak it, and it needs to soak in salt for about three months. And then soak it a bit in the one. So great trip, uh, tips coming through there from Jimmy. Unfortunately, we've uh, run out of a, a bit of time because there's so many messages that we can't get through. But yeah. we will continue this conversation, Jimmy. As you said, there's a need to document this so it's never lost uh, again. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us on the program. And we will continue definitely this conversation with you. No, thank you so much. I just went to my friend in London, Kubiad Bole, and uh, and Duventakia in Poland, who was tuned in to listen to this program. And of course, they are missing the seven bunnies. Oh, no. Thank you, Jimmy. And, and hi to your friends as well. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity today. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you and be safe. You're most welcome. That was Jimmy Mudli, our historian today, talking about the evolution of South African Indian cuisine. We do apologize if we couldn't get through to your message, but we will read them. And uh, we do thank you so much for sharing your uh, history and your story with us. The program comes away courtesy of the team, led by our executive producer, Salma Patel, Newsbreak Talk producer, Rachel Vardy. I'm Talisha Naidu. Have a safe and blessed afternoon. Hafsaim Kize is standing in to bring you news now at one o'clock. And thereafter, we hand over to Antimala. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.